Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey listeners, this time I'll start with a public service announcement to let you know that this is the last episode of 2022. Thank you so much for listening again this season and really this whole year. Thank you for your comments and messages on social media and for your ratings and reviews on different podcast apps. These interactions are really wonderful and it makes me feel like I'm not just talking to an empty void over here. So Thank you, and please keep doing those. You can also send me an email at hello at liveaboardsailingpodcast.com just to say hi. And of course, I would love to welcome you to the Patreon crew as a supporter of the podcast, because that ensures that I can take time off to record new episodes and share these amazing stories with you all. So please do check patreon.com forward slash podcast to see what's going on over there. This week, I have a great last episode of the year for you. And here's what's coming up next. We want other people to get into this. We want to make it clear that, you know, people with full careers, people who, who you know, had no experience sailing, people who have you know, all the dreams in the world, but culturally, we're never really introduced to it um, because it's just not something you don't see very many. You don't see very many different shades out there when it comes to long term cruising. And we really want to change that. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liveaboard Sailing podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In today's episode, we talk about the highs and lows of sailing and of life in general. 
My guests are Dev and Spandana from YouTube channel called For Sun and Stars, and they tell me how they went from planning a two-year backpacking trip to owning a sailboat. We also dive into insurance as new boat owners and what it's like to leave successful careers behind to pursue an unknown adventure. As Dev and Spandana settled in for their cruising life in the Bahamas, they were dealt another change of plans in the shape of a serious health scare. This episode packs a lot in about 50 minutes or so and makes you reflect what's important in life. Here's my chat with Dev and Spandana. Maybe we'll start with the life before the boat. So let's rewind back to your pre-boat days. What were your lives like? What were you doing? And and what was your daily life like? We had a very typical life. I mean, we, you know, we kissed each other goodbye in the morning and each went off to work different places. And we, you know, he was a software engineer. I was a developmental pediatrician. So we both had pretty typical nine to five jobs and, you know, come home, make dinner and relax. And we try to do as many vacations as possible. We love to travel. We always have. So we'd always be looking for a fun place to hike or a fun country to go to. Okay, what's going to be our next country that we jump to? You know, we used to go jogging in Central Park, walk down to all the great restaurants in Manhattan. And we had, we've grown up there. So all of our friends and family, everybody we went to high school with, college with, they were all within a train ride away. So you know, your life sort of, and we're all about the same age. So everyone's kind of going through the same thing. If you decided to have kids, all the ones that wanted kids are having kids and all the ones that didn't aren't and sort of are going down the similar path. And, you know, we were, it's not to sound as a bad thing, but it was a very stable life. (laughs) It was a very stable, a little bit of a scheduled life. And I have to say that we, one thing about us is that we've always been used to being in very small places, I guess, when we first got started. So uh, we got married when uh, we were living in Manhattan uh, in New York City. And I think our first apartment when we first got married was 400 square feet. So we were really packed in there. And we've always just been very used to being, I guess, on top of each other and very close together. And uh, other than going to work, you know, we spent all of our time together in small apartments in the city. And uh, yeah, we've we've just been very comfortable living very close to each other and, and out of each other's pockets. And and then what got you into sailing? And was sailing one of the activities you did on your time off? Or how did you get into that? It's really funny because we actually don't know anybody. Before we started this life, we knew nobody who had ever sailed. We'd been on boats before to go on diving. We're both scuba divers. Um, but we'd only been on the boat to get to the dive site, jumped in the water and got back out. We never drove the boat. We never um, did anything related to, to boats. And we didn't know anybody who did, did anything related to boats either. So we were actually, um, I guess one day I was, I was watching this YouTube channel called How to Drink. He had an episode where he talked about Gone with the Winds, which is another very big sailing channel. And they really, their lifestyle, you know, I said that over to Spun. I said, you know, when we retire, we should do this. We should get a boat. We should go see the world. We should live off of our boat. And that would be awesome. And I got that and I binged them. So between patients at lunchtime, I would just watch episode after all their boating stuff. I haven't watched as much of their RV stuff, but I just fell in love with the idea that you could live on the water. It wasn't anything that 
our cultures or our families were had had an opportunity to introduce us to. So this was extremely surprising and amazing thing to find out about. And then, um, you know, this things things just sort of went from there. I I said yes. You know, when we retire, let's do this. This is great. We'll just put it in the back pocket and we'll enjoy sailing YouTube videos. And we had already sort of been scuba diving regularly. And we had gone to Grand Cayman, which was at a dive resort at Grand Cayman, which we loved. We used to go every year for his birthday. And it was an easy vacation to plan because we knew everybody there. We went there one of the years we went there. The dive master said, you know, very nicely. He said, what are you doing here? And we said, what do you mean? He goes, I've seen you now come back three or four times. And while Grand Cayman is a beautiful place to dive, there are so many more places in the world that you could be going to, especially you're young, you've got the time, you know, you have the resources. Why don't you go do that? And that started us thinking, and he looked up a lot of the diving places and you couldn't get there by land, by plane. You had to you had to take a boat, and that sort of started to come all come together. And we said, okay, let's go go on a two year backpacking trip. So we said, let's go, uh, just have fun, go backpacking all around the world, and then come back and go back to our normal lives. January twenty twenty, we start booking the tickets, and then the world goes crazy. And so we pivoted and we said, okay, let's do van life. You know, the winds did the RV life. Let's do the van life. And we sort of, we had a transit van picked up. We had, um, we were going to remodel the whole thing from scratch, you know, very much like Eamon and Beck, uh, which who were big YouTubers also. We had like even the diagram written out of like, you know, here's the space and here's where the bed's going to be. Here's the bathroom. Like we had everything spec'd out uh, just down to the last detail of what we're going to build. August came and we realized that the world wasn't opening up and the places we could drive to, we didn't really want to drive to yet because it was just the, the infection rates were just all just crazy. And then, in, yeah, around August, we said, you know what, that five-year plan, that retirement plan that we had, let's move it up. And so we made the decision in August. In September, we learned how to sail, step foot on a sailboat for the very first time. Uh, no charters, no liverboards, no nothing. Um, took an ASA course, got the bug immediately, and um, sort of roll started doing all the things that you need. And by January, we were boat shopping, and April we bought turtle. Wow, that's an amazing timeline, and I love that evolution of going like, yeah, packpacking, no bad life, no actually boat life which is always the was the kind of the ultimate goal at the back there uh once you'd uh, been familiarized with the concept that you know yes indeed you can live on a boat and, and travel on a boat which is it is a kind of a novel concept i also knew nobody who did this or was never exposed to it was not didn't grow up by the ocean or anything and then all of a sudden it's like actually also from the winds so i was like wait hang on <laughs> Look at these guys. This is fantastic. So, so very similar sort of origin story. But you know, you had kind of decided to take a break anyway. But I'm curious with, you know, your careers that obviously required a lot of education to get to that point in your career. So you had, were in that sort of career path. Um, was it a difficult decision for you to leave that 
or is it still like, well, just pause for two years and then we'll see they're always there waiting or what was that process like? Uh, that was very hard, <laughs> I have to say. Um, we actually, I would say for both of us, one of the things that was really challenging for us is that we were both very happy in our careers. We, I loved my job. Uh, things were going very well, I think. Um, I was very happy with the people I was working with and the things I was doing. And at that point, I'd been doing it for more than a decade uh, with the same company. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't tired of it at all. I, I would have been happy to continue going with them. Um, and Spana had spent, you know, as a doctor in the U.S., you spend more than a decade in training and, and getting ready for that life and um, to actually be a, a full doctor and attending um, and to say, okay, I've taken all that time to learn all of this and I'm just going to put it aside and do something else. And same here for me. I wasn't burnt out. I wasn't looking for a way out. And in fact, it was, I was thriving. I was sort of, you know, at the point where I should be starting doing research and I might actually move up in my position, take more roles. But I think what really, it, that first step is the hardest, that first step of making the decision to say, you know, this, don't fall for the sun, you know, sun cost fa- fallacy. It, it is not the end of your chapter to become a physician, to become a software engineer, you know, then sort of, okay, I'm done. I'll take up a hobby here and there. It's more, it's much more difficult to say that was fun. And I can, like you said, I can always come back to it. Those two jobs, being a physician and being a software engineer, are not going anywhere. Hopefully. <laughs> and what's the worst thing that can happen is we fail. But so what? And that's okay. And and I think that that is that's where we both were. And that's another thing. We were both on the same page about that, or wanting to do that and willing to give up our careers family life, the stable Manhattan life that we had sort of put together um, to test this out and to see what would happen. I think a big aspect too, is that we met through diving. Actually, we met a lot of older um, individuals who kind of told us their life stories and we we would talk to them over dinner and things like that. Um, And their biggest thing was, you know, I should have started diving when I was younger. I should have started doing this. I should have taken that big leap when I was um, still not even from the time aspect, but also from a, a health aspect to some extent, right? Like the world is there and I want to go explore it. And if I wait until, you know, even we've had a health scare recently, right? We know that you can go from, you know, I am ready and able to go see the world to I'm just completely unable to do anything like that. And, and now these other obligations or issues are there. So they really kind of drilled into us, you know, if you have the opportunity take it now. It feels hard because you have this inertia of your career, but yeah, it, it's it's there. And once you make that decision, it's actually really exciting. It's really exciting. And the fear just kind of gets stomped into the ground and like overtaken by the excitement because you're like, oh my God, it's it's a new place. It's a new, and, and you learn, you know, at, at the age we are, very seldom do you learn new things where very seldom now you, you learn more about the careers that we're on. Like as a physician, I could learn more about some of the topics um, as a software engineer, he could learn more languages, but starting from scratch, having absolutely no knowledge about something and building that knowledge base again has been really great. Even from just sort of a brain exercise <laughs> perspective, just as sort of a health perspective, because 
Um, this was, you know, and, and that all that overtakes any fear you had in the beginning. Once you make that decision, it's like, oh, my God, let's do this. Everything you're saying resonates so much with me. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that once you make that decision to step out of your comfort zone and get into that learning, that is so true. Um, I would say, you know, starting to learn to sail for me was almost a humbling experience because I, in my mind, I was like, naturally, I'll be a natural at it. <laughs> I'll be great at it. It's like, oh my, this is actually a lot more difficult than I, than I thought it might be. But you're right. When we're adults, we don't really learn as much if we're staying the same kind of careers and, and hobbies and all that. So it's, it's really interesting, the sailing lifestyle, how it keeps your mind really active in a very different way. Sometimes terrifying way, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you bought your boat and uh, you mentioned that, you know, you did your ASA courses. I am curious as someone who is looking to buy a boat, what was your experience like with insurance? Because I've done a whole separate podcast episode about all about insurance and how to sort of be or show yourself as worthy of an insurance to the insurance companies because that, you know, we've just had all the hurricanes go by. So that probably makes it even more difficult for, for anyone to get insurance. But I'm curious, um, what was your experience like as new boat owners with little sailing experience in, in getting insurance? It was, it was a challenge. I have to say, um, we at some point thought we would not get any insurance. So after we bought Turtle, we realized, oh, well, we, we need to go get insurance. And, you know, from car insurance and things like that, you think it's just somebody, somebody where will offer you a policy. It may not be one you like. It may be very expensive. Um, but what we actually found was we talked to really big insurance companies that are, are household names. And we would call them. We would tell them our situation. And they would say, no, we just don't insure you. Like, there's, there's no premium. There's no number we could give you that we would insure you at we will just not insure you and one big insurer in the us uh, said yes to us and that's what got us through our first uh, actually first year and a half um but they only insured us for the united states and we could not use them beyond the united states when we wanted to go to the caribbean and we were only able to find again one insurer who was willing to insure us for the caribbean so we got lucky there that we were able to find somebody but um, it was very touch and go for a while that we would talk to tons of people and they would just say, um, for the two biggest factors we had against us was our lack of experience, um, lack of experience in two ways. One is our lack of experience sailing, but also our lack of time owning boats, which we didn't realize would be such a major factor. Uh, and the second would be the age of our boat. So turtle is about 30 years old. Um, we were told multiple times, you know, if, if turtle was a newer boat, this would not be a big, as big of an issue for you guys. But I think it also is a, such a game and in no other place do I more highly recommend an agent because there isn't one list. There isn't one list of requirements where you can look at that and say, okay, if I check this, somebody will say yes to me because every insurance company has a different list. Some really care and ask if you have lithium on board. Some don't care. Um, and so a lot of people say, oh, well, if you have lithium on board, then you can't get insurance. That's not always true. Sometimes it's true. And in that way, it just sort of adds up. I'm From our experience, the two things that have stable, sort of we've seen throughout that are stable, one is like Dave said, experience. 
And I think a tip for I would give is the second you think you might ever be interested. And for us, really, that could have been 2018, which is when we started to watch the wins. If at that point we immediately started to charter, we immediately started to sail around in little dinghies and we started to kind of get practice and get you good at it, it would have maybe made our experience a little better, but it would have made us look so much better for the insurance companies. And so I think building experience in every way possible, even if it's, even if you were like us and you decided to buy a boat six months after you learned how to sail, you still had that six months. Every weekend you could have been going somewhere to get a little bit more experience that you could put on what's called a sailing resume. So build your sailing resume as soon as humanly possible, as much varied as possible. Uh, and I think the second one would be the age of the boat, which you can't help. So that I think you just have to know that the older the boat, the, the more difficult it's going to ensure. But that's, I think, more of a fact that you can't control. You can control your sailing resume. I kind of uh, I was thinking that we want our nieces and nephews someday. They're they're very young today, but maybe we should just and go not buy, interested at this point. Not interested <laughs> at this point, but maybe we should just go buy a dinghy and put it in their name just so that they could say like, "Well, I've owned a dinghy for twenty years." <laughs> so. Exactly, like you're not a definitely been a boat owner for decades by now <laughs> at twenty one. <laughs> at the same time, we've had just recently some friends who have been sailors for a really long time. They've owned their boat for 10 years. They've been cruising for 15 and they still receive no's from some insurance companies, even with all the experience they have because of some other little logistical thing. But because of that experience, at least they've got sort of a, a way in <laughs> the conversation will even begin. But the um there are still a lot of hurdles and there's no one answer to it yeah were you getting no's for just like even liability insurance what you would need for a marina even that was a no-no that was a no-no yeah. yes we they 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 basically said their company could not work with us <laughs> in any form or whatsoever <laughs> gosh yes. that's that's welcome and so yeah it's funny because everybody wants you to have a new boat like a bank would love for you to have a new boat so you can take a huge loan and finance it. Um, you know, your insurance company would love for you to have a new boat. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> but if they don't want, if they can't give you an insurance, they'll find something else. And so it isn't always that, okay, I have a new boat. Oh, but then, you know, oh, you installed your own lithium? Can't. You have to have an ABYC uh, certified person to install your lithium. Oh, is you don't have, you know, this, so it's, it's tricky. It's, it's very, very tricky. And there's a lot of things that are really out of your control, but at the end of it all, we did get insurance. Somebody did say yes. And that's the whole thing is the, the first time we were our own agents and it took a lot of phone calls before we got our first yes. But the second time we did get an agent, he was extremely helpful to us and he reached out to everybody and he came back with one, but one is enough. That's all we need. And just on that note, um, lithium, I know we've mentioned it a couple of times now. It does seem like it may make the insurance question harder, but I 100% would not have gone back. I, I think it's helped so much to have this huge amount of power on the boat and be able to just rely on that, that for me, it's a no-brainer to just go ahead with it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's talk about your boat a little bit. So, it's a Caliber 40 from, what is it, 93? 93, yes, that's correct. 
Um, what condition was it? Was it when you bought it? And and I know you you know you have a YouTube channel. You've been uh, documenting uh, both your adventures and your uh, you know the boat work adventures <laughs> on it. So what kind of uh, work have you done on it? Um, so when we bought her, she had been sitting on the hard for about two years. So she was in a, a boat yard in Annapolis. Um, one of the reasons that kind of drew her, us to her was that she was a was a boat that was outfitted somewhat for cruising already. She had solar panels on her. Um, you know, she had a, a good dinghy and davits and just generally seemed to be set up for the kind of life that you could imagine buying the boat, putting in the water and going cruising, and it would actually work out. That never actually happens. But, you know, you, when we were buying it, you could look at it and believe that you could do that. Um, and since we've bought her, we have, so, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, we have done some upgrades. So the, one of the things we had to do was replace the batteries because that first summer we owned her, we were on the hard working on her and the fan suddenly turned off one day and we went to the battery bank to investigate what happened. And we tested the batteries and all six batteries were dead. So we had to replace all the existing, uh, they were actually flooded lead acid batteries. Um, so we went to the local where battery warehouse they had lithiums. We were like, great, we love lithium. Put it on the boat. Got that installed, upgraded to a Victron um, charge controller. And uh, since then, we've done things like add more solar to her. We've added a water maker, which we've used twice <laughs> before. And it's great. It's great. When we have used it, it's been awesome. Uh, we had an issue earlier this year with some some health problems. So we came off the boat. So we had to, we used it twice. And then we went to, we, um, what's what I'm thinking of, pickled it. So we put it into storage. Uh, unfortunately, uh, well, actually not unfortunately, we're, we're now going to redo all of our fresh water because another upgrade we've recently done is that, um, the water system on the boat. So the actual tubing that takes the water to, around the boat is something called uh, polybutylene, which is from 1990s. And it's, uh, unfortunately chlorine eats away at it slowly. So we have found some places where there are blockages or leaks that shouldn't be there. Um, so we've actually just taken on the last month. We ripped up every piece of hose on the boat and we're replacing it all with pecs and that's been quite an adventure and misadventure <laughs> and we've also sort of upgraded the counter and everything and we were really happy because we did not know if we were going to enjoy cruising this was definitely still an unknown adventure and we did not want a boat that you know for example was salvaged and sort of starting from scratch because we first wanted to make sure that we enjoyed this lifestyle and that it was worth putting our effort and time and money into. And Turtle was perfect for that. She came in what I call a good enough condition that, you know, we had small mini disasters, like all the batteries dying a month after we bought her. But it, overall, we got her into the water after a few months of owning her. We got to cruise for a year, made changes and upgrades slowly as we were moving. We didn't get to get hauled out immediately after we didn't have to spend a ton of time in marinas she was able to introduce us to the lifestyle that we thought this was and made us fall in love with it long term now we can look at it and say yeah let's rip out all the fresh water system and redo it let's rip off the nav station and put what we want because we had that incredible year because she was in a good enough condition we now can look at the boat and we now see all the things that need are that need changing and replacement but i think if we had to we had to do all of this instead of it almost you know pretty 
quickly jumping into the water and enjoying her, I don't think we would have fallen in love with cruising as much as we have. Yeah, I think that's a really sound strategy. When you think about it, if you are new to cruising, you are in love with the idea of it, but you've actually not experienced it, which a lot of people, I think, are in in that kind of situation. And you know, if you buy a boat, then needs a year's worth of work on, on the boatyard. Like, you know, are you going to keep up that motivation for a year without actually knowing if you even like the whole <laughs> thing you're about to do? And you know, you're investing all this time and money into it, so. That make、uh, make sense, and I'm, I'm glad that your strategy has worked out for you. And now, now you know that you can invest and and、uh, make all those necessary upgrades and repairs and what you want. But you mentioned that you've now done about、uh, a year of cruising, and I know you went to the Bahamas. That was about the time when I found you guys on YouTube. And、uh, so that trip to Bahamas, did it feel like a big trip? I mean, it's not technically that far, but it's kind of far from the northeast when you eventually set off. When you've never done it, it's like the other side of the world. <laughs> We never took so. If you're on the east coast of of the U.S. and you know. We we've gone up and down the east coast of the U.S. and it was great, and that's where we sort of learned all of our experience from.、Um, we never took the ICW. We were on the outside the whole time, and so when we got to the point where we were in Florida and we were sort of ready, getting ready to jump, we just were so careful. We listened to Chris Parker, who is an incredible weather forecaster, and he gives you advice. And we listened to his webcast every day for. Weeks and weeks, and sort of waited for him to tell us the perfect window to jump and everything. And and it was a day where there was almost zero wind, and so we just motored across. And I remember we got to the other side, and we were like, "Oh, was that it? <laughs> that was kind of boring. Like that was that was that was done. Okay." And then we got to sort of jump deep into the Bahamas for four months and enjoy it. And The first week, we actually had a set of friends with us who had done this a few times, so they introduced us to the Bahamas and sort of how to jump between anchor to anchor and how to really enjoy it and and where to find good spots. And I think be- because of them, we really understood how to enjoy the Bahamas. And then they left us about a week in, a week and a half in, and then we really explored all the way down to Long Island, every single little nook and cranny of the Bahamas. And I remember when we were coming back. I think first of all, we never listened to Chris Parker again. <laughs> we got we started because we just got much better at not that I think everybody needs to listen to him, but I think we also just got better at knowing our boat, knowing weather, and understanding and reading the weather systems. That we were coming back with flying wind, like sail full sails out, <laughs> tipped over thirty degrees, like you know. Things that we could have never felt comfortable doing four months before that, which I think is an incredible learning curve in sailing that you don't realize just how quickly you become comfortable and silly in taking sillier and sillier <laughs> risks because it's um it's it's that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, and as as Spano was saying, like we would used to see. Fifteen、um, knot winds on the radar or in the weather forecast, and we'd be like, "Oh, maybe today we should just motor. It's going to be a little windy today." And then coming back, we were by the time we finished in the Bahamas, we were like, "Twenty knots, great. Let's let's that'll give us a good push." Yeah, I mean the learning curve there is huge, and of course you you learn 
through just doing and your confidence increases as well. So you know how to push it a little bit further and further and, and just become more comfortable with it. And it sounds like the Bahamas was a good place for to develop those skills. Bahamas is what I would call new cruising for dummies. I mean, it is it is so beautiful, especially the Abacos, which is where we jumped to in the beginning. It has every sing- it has a place for every single angle of wind. <laughs> so wherever the wind is coming from, you can find a spot within a half day sail or motor even of safety. And anchoring is really easy and water is really clear, but that's everywhere in the Bahamas. But specifically in the Abacos, it was just such a perfect place to start because everything is just easy. The the you can you can test out how deep you can get into an anchorage. You can see where you want to move for the day and or just hang out for the week because even, it just protects you so well. Even anchoring is great there because the water is so clear. You put your anchor down, you can just back up and watch your anchor dig in and know exactly where it is and how your chain is laying. Um, when we're coming down the coast, you know, there's there's many places you put your anchor down and you're just like, I hope it's okay because <laughs> I, I can't see it. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, but yeah, the, the Bahamas, like, we would finish anchoring. We could just jump into the water, swim over to our anchor, tug on it, and just see how it was doing. And that was that's just a great experience to be able to to see how, especially with anchoring, how that's all going. And I think it also really helps because it has a good amount of marinas. It has land that has towns that are close by. So if if you are having a bad time, if you do need a little bit of a break, it doesn't take you a week to get somewhere to take a break from it. It has so many hurricane holes. So if there's something really bad coming or you just cannot figure out winds and, and, and you just need like a minute, you can go into the hurricane hole, just sit there for a week and just reset. And it has all of these things. And we've spoken and we've watched YouTubers who have had a decade more experience than us have gone around the world, literally have circumnavigated the world. And they say Bahamas is still one of their favorite places in the world, which I think says a lot about that place. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that it's so easily accessible, too. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, so you recently, you referenced there that you've had a health scare. And uh, can you tell a little bit more about that? And has that changed your outlook into the sailing life at all? So when we were in the Bahamas, we were coming to the point where we were getting ready to jump into the Dominican Republic. And a few weeks into, I believe it was about January, I started to have an ear infection. I had it treated at the local hospital there. They did a great job with a good set of antibiotics. 
but my lymph nodes, which are things in your body that swell up when you're sick and then they tend to go away once you're better. Sometimes they take about, they can take about six weeks to go away after you've been sick. So my lymph nodes were swollen. I thought it was a ear infection. It wouldn't go down. And I just had a little bit of a suspicion because I just thought they were a little too big, a little too painful and a little too long that way, unchanged. And so we started to track back towards the US and I started to feel worse and worse. I started to have daily fevers and just overall my health started to go downhill. We got back to Florida and we looked it up and unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, the health insurance that we have, Safety Wing, protects us, uh, covers us everywhere except the US. So we have full health insurance anywhere except the US. And because of this, we looked up and we did our research and we decided that Costa Rica actually had an incredible reputation for really good medical systems. So we took a flight from Florida because I was just deteriorating a lot. And I apologize. So from Florida, we actually went home to New York because being a physician, I had physician friends. So I went and talked to them and I had them examine me and they just... They also had that sort of gut feeling a physician has where they're like, nothing is obviously wrong, but there's something wrong. And I can't put my finger on it. So they really, one of my really good friends who was a physician said, I just, you need to get this checked out. Like, I just have a bad feeling about this. So that's when we, you know, did our research and we realized about Costa Rica. So we took a flight from New York to, um, back to Florida, sort of handed the boat off to, um, sailing um, Expedition Evans, who are uh, Jade and Brett, who are two incredible human beings, if you don't know them already. Um, they sort of babysat our turtle for us and helped us in every other way possible. We took a flight from there to Costa Rica. Just a quick and... interlude there, actually. When we took the flight to Costa Rica and we, we left the boat um, with the Evans, we we really were like, okay, we feel terrible leaving our boat behind, right? We, we She's our, our home and everything else, but we knew she was in good hands. Um, we got a call from them or a text from them the next day saying, you know, we hope you guys land in Costa Rica safely. And it was a picture of our boat wrapped up to their boat. And we were like, oh, well, we, she was on a mooring ball. Like, um, I wonder why they decided to move her over and wrap her up with their boat. And they said, well, what happened is that there was a, a wake that came through the mooring field yesterday and your boat's mooring ball pulled off the bottom of the seafloor and Turtle, somehow, very thankfully, there was multiple directions Turtle could have gone in. She could have crashed into a bridge. She could have gone onto the rocks. But what she did is she just kind of slowly moved over. She nudged up against the Evans boat. And they just tied her up and said, yeah, we'll hold on to her until somebody can get her from us. Did I mention they're incredible human beings? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got to Costa Rica. And uh, we went to this amazing hospital, Hospital SEMA. And they basically, from the minute I walked in, they took care of me like I was family. I mean, I knew enough Spanish to get us through everything, but even if we didn't, they did such a great job. They were they evaluated me and they basically did every test that I could possibly think of, even in my most paranoid state. And in the end, after about two weeks of tests and evaluations and actually eventually a biopsy of a lymph node, it came back the diagnosis of T-cell lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. And it is not a good cancer, if any cancer is a good cancer. It is a particularly vicious cancer. In the end, the type that I ended up having had a 40% survival rate. And so we 
got the diagnosis and came back and had a lot of decisions to make. So we came back to the boat and we decided, okay, we can either get a, get treatment right now in Costa Rica. We can go back to Costa Rica. The health insurance would not cover that, but the price of chemo and treatment there were so much more affordable that we could have actually pay out of pocket. They were going to come out to somewhere between 30 and $40,000. It changes per person and everything, but roughly that's the number that I was quoted for my initial treatment. And it would have strained us, but it would have meant treatment immediately and chemo immediately. But we said, let's, let's try to get treatment in the U S and so we went to back home to family. We, applied for insurance, we got Medicaid, and we actually ended up at a cancer institute in New Jersey, who also took very good care of us and started to sort of do more tests. And we actually had to fly the samples from Costa Rica to the US so that they could retest everything. And that took, I think all of that ended up taking an extra three weeks which made us question of why we were letting this cancer grow instead of getting immediate treatment in Costa Rica. We were just, you know, we felt we were really frustrated and my health was just down the drain. I mean, I was barely eating. I'd lost a ton of weight. I had no energy to do anything. I just laid in bed all day with high fevers all day long. And I think, I think she was sleeping maybe 16 hours a day. Um, and when she was up, she could barely really function. Um, it was It was really hard to see. And so we were terrified that really we're, we're, we're spending all this time just getting these results over these samples over and then getting more tests done. And this cancer is really aggressive and it's just getting worse and we're not getting treatment. And that was, it was a really stressful time. Yeah. And I mean, even physically, so my whole right side of my neck was swollen and painful. And then now I start to feel things spread to my left side and things are growing up my skull and you just, you, you physically feel deformed and you feel like, Something is eating you on the inside. <laughs> and then, yeah, three weeks in, they, and to be a little bit more clear on the timeline, so Friday, on a Friday, they received the samples from Costa Rica. The pathologist, the initial pathologist who looked at it said, yep, that looks like lymphoma. I think next week we can go ahead and get your clearance and start chemotherapy. On Monday, I get a phone call saying, well, we had what's called a tumor board, which is when all the pathologists in the department get together and they look at all the slides over the weekend that were gotten after Friday, after 5 p.m. and over the weekend. And they all have to 100% agree that that's the diagnosis. And someone disagreed. <laughs> I don't know who I owe them some cookies, but they did. And that got actually moved up an escalator to the NIH. And so they took my slides and sent them to the NIH to the one of the most world-renowned lymphoma experts. Because we were pretty sure this was lymphoma. We just needed confirmation. She took another week to evaluate my slides and that finally came back and it came back, not cancer. It came back and it came back for some, it's actually a, um, what's called a Fujimoto Kikuchi syndrome. It is basically an autoimmune disease. It is self-limiting and it, it in about six months would have self-cured. You were just supposed to treat the symptoms of it. And best news, it was not cancer. And yeah, and that was sort of, oh, it messes with your head. It messes <laughs> with your head. I mean, I was ready. I had earrings that I thought would look good with bald hair. You know, I told all my friends and they were all 
crying and supporting with me. They, they just, you know, our family members, I mean, we were, we were staying with my brother's family and my mom. And so my mom was just having her child go through chemotherapy and she was ready. She was ready to take care of me with all the good Indian food that she could make. Um, and then all of a sudden we didn't. And then we just sort of looked at each other and we we're like, well, now what? <laughs> But really just the best news we ever received. I, I couldn't explain just the relief that we felt after that. And like, I think we had to spend a couple of days just kind of processing it because at that time, you know, the, the doctors felt like, yes, we're very sure it's not cancer, but it still could be. So, you know, it, it took some time to really kind of get those final, like, yes, we, you're good. You can go back to your life. You don't need to, you know, stop, basically put a pause in your life and, and deal with cancer, which was, a huge just change. And the thing is, just because they said I didn't have cancer, I would still feel like I was dying. So I needed to get treatment. So they had to send me to rheumatologist and I received steroids and it took many months to sort of get back to where, where we were. And we also had to make some big decisions of, okay, do we immediately jump back on the boat and just go? Or do we take a minute and sort of take our time, make sure that I'm all well, well and good and, and sort of reevaluate and rethink some things for for the future and i think you know i mean those months were very um very difficult very difficult we you know we had to figure out what it is we wanted to do but at the same time one thing that we both always agreed on is especially once we got back to turtle is that cruising was still something we really wanted to do and that we were so so thankful that we had done the year that we had and I think that was the biggest thing that we both immediately agreed on is we were so happy to have done the experiences because you never know. That really could have been cancer, like nine out of 10 times. That is cancer. And, you know, I could have passed away from a side effect. I could have passed away from a failed 40% survival rate. Um, and then that would have been it. And we would have not had this time together. We would not have had this experience together. So never would have taken anything back. And yeah, we, we decided after a few months that cruising was what we wanted to do long term. And actually, in somewhat of an unrelated aspect, that actually made us realize that, okay, so we do want to do this and we do want to do this long term. Okay, now let's figure out financially how we're going to sustain it. And so we started to make changes to our lifestyle and to sort of open that aspect up so that we can keep cruising because now we've gotten a kick in the pants of, well, let's get going. Let's have these adventures before we may not be able to. Yeah, that's such an incredible story. And thank you for sharing that. You were also very open about it on the, on the YouTube channel. And it was just harrowing to even follow that. So I can't even imagine what it was to go actually through that uh, in, in real life. And um you talked about the long term. So initially, initially at the beginning of the episode, you talked about the two year sabbatical to do van life or packpacking that ended up being sailing. And is that sort of now an old plan? And now the new plan is long term and end date TBD. I think it is. Yeah, I think uh, I think really the uh, the end date is whenever we we want we don't want to do this anymore which may someday come but at least for now we don't see that in our future we one of the reasons we stayed outside of the icw and we went down the coast is because we wanted to get that experience of being on the ocean and what that's like 
And to be clear, it is very scary <laughs> to be on the ocean. The first time we went onto the Atlantic Ocean as we came out of um, the Delaware River, um, we Spunnen was sleeping downstairs as we came onto the ocean, and she just came up in the companionway, looked at me, and said, "Are we okay?" Because the boat was just going every direction from all the waves that were hitting us from the Atlantic. This was before we knew how to really look at the weather and understand <laughs> what it was trying to tell us. Um, but yeah, we we think that someday we want to cross oceans and maybe uh, 2024 will be the first ocean that year we cross an ocean. Um, we want to spend the next year in the Caribbean just exploring those places and going back to the Bahamas, definitely. Um, and just getting more experience as cruisers and long-term you know, we've always wanted to go to the uh, to Asia on our boat if we can. So a Pacific crossing is hopefully someday in our future. And uh, yeah, really, the world is. If anything, our plans have become crazier. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think like if there was like someone go to Mars, we'd sign up. Like I think it's you know, and take our boat with us or something. I think it really cruising and the, and the health care. I think everything comes together and timing is everything about this. It has really opened our eyes up to the fact that we wanted to sail to Japan from the beginning. I mean, that was in the plans for the, for the future, 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 Dave and Spandana. And sometimes we look at each other and we're like, that future is now, you know, or going to France or going and making a crossing and so, if anything, our plans have become wider and bigger. And, you know, we already talk about in a few years what our second boat is going to look like. It's, if anything, it has really put us into overdrive when it comes to the kind of adventures we want to have, the kind of chapters we want to open. And our YouTube channel is our way of talking our, you know, ourselves through this because we want other people to get into this. We want to make it clear that, you know, people with full careers, people who, who, you know, had no experience sailing, people who have, you know, all the dreams in the world, but culturally were never really introduced to it um, because it's just not something you don't see very many, you don't see very many different shades out there when it comes to long-term cruising. And we really want to change that. We, I, you know, I want, the little boys and girls sitting at home who are who are West Indian, who are Indian, who are from whatever part of the world they are that isn't really big on cruising or sailing to so look at it and say, oh, we can do this. And so, you know, that whole just scuba diving and introducing the world to more diving videos and such like our plans and thoughts and wants have just gotten we've just gotten greedier with what we want to do with the time we have left, because really anything can happen. Well, yeah, you're thinking big, but you're also inspiring others to think big, which I think is just incredible. And uh, well, of course, now we have to ask, where can we actually follow you uh, in the online world? In the online world, we are on YouTube. We Our YouTube name is For Sun and Stars uh, because of we just chase the sun and the stars. We're on Instagram. We are on Facebook. In Facebook, you can search us under Sailing Turtle. And for Instagram, it's for Sun and Stars. We are also in the middle of actually coding our own website from scratch. So it is going to be put together. We are also getting ready to um, get our Patreon out. And we are also getting ready to get our merchandise out for the first time. 
But those are all the different ways you can catch us. And then you can just straight up just email us. <laughs> yeah, you are not hard to find, which is great. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, the primary way we, we try to, kind of, I guess, reach out to the world is through our YouTube channel and just posting those videos of all the traveling we're doing. And lately, at least all the boat projects we're working on. Just as we wrap up, I'm wondering, would you have any tips for someone who's, you know, the, the you guys two years ago, you know, when you're just thinking about this, like, oh, I want to go sailing, I want to buy a boat. Any, any words of wisdom? Uh, I would say the biggest thing would be to try it out a little bit more than we did. I mean, we, we, we really love it. And we think oh, many people would love sailing, but chartering a boat um, is actually very accessible, right? Taking a couple of sailing classes, going chartering with a captain who can show you the ropes and kind of show you how to do things. Living on a boat for a while through chartering maybe uh, would be a great idea just to see. We actually put in the offer for Turtle and then a month later we lived on a, we slept on a boat for the first time. So thankfully we liked it, but that was maybe the wrong order to do things in. But yeah, taking some classes, going chartering, um, even going to be crew on other people's boats. I think there's lots of people looking for folks who want to jump on for races or just maybe a delivery or things like that. Um, and there's lots of websites out there for that. Um, we didn't, now that we own a boat, we've actually met, made a lot of friends and we've been on their boats and being on their boats has shown us more about what we like on turtle, what we want to change things we want to improve. So I think that's a very big part of it. And I think somewhat going with that, but also going a little against that is also just do it. There's always more shopping you could do. There's always more money you could make. There's always that extra month you could work to save just a little bit more to make it really, really good. And it's just, you know, the jobs are always going to be there to come back to. And there's ways to make money. There's, there's, yeah, there's always a better boat out there. There is, but the hardest thing is that first step. And while you're getting this experience, while you're, chartering and everything and, and it's the same idea of like if you watch too many tutorials on youtube and you don't actually go do it you just watch other people do it you stop watching other people live your life and just go do that and if you hate it that's okay you can come back to this life like you you know or try something else and try something else and yeah. you know you know you never know you don't know what you don't know and so it's much easier to procrastinate and stay safe and stay stable in your life um, than to make this jump. So I would say just whatever your timeline is, shorten it and think about what would happen if tomorrow you got diagnosed with cancer and what would you regret and go from there. Now, those were quite the final words from Dave and Spandana. I think that's an impactful and important thing to reflect on. I highly recommend you check out their YouTube channel, which I have linked below. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is the last one of the year, but of course I am planning on returning in the new year. If you are keen to be part of the show or know someone who I should interview, then please do get in touch on Instagram or Facebook or by email at hello at liverboatsailingpodcast.com. As always, thank you for listening. And bye for now.
imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 